going to start with a story. I was um, hanging out with a friend the other day, a dear friend, and she asked me for my advice for how she should go about um, like the healing of her heart with the Lord because she'd been through some traumatic stuff. Um, and I basically dumped a whole bunch of stuff. I got, yeah, I got a lot to say about that. And I talked about being grounded in the word and that, you know, it w it's the truth that sets you free. I talked about being like wrapped up in community and just like get to everything that you can that's going to like feed you spiritually and yada, yada, yada. And it's all good and it was all, I believe, true. But I drove away and I just felt, you know, that gentle little nudge of the Holy Spirit. And I just felt him be like, Sarah, if you had have said one thing, <laughs> what would it be? And, and it's like the answer came to me then instantly. And it would have been to spend time alone with Jesus. And it wasn't a, he wasn't condemning me, but I just immediately knew that that was the answer. Uh, and that does involve reading the word, don't worry. Um, and so I've just been thinking about that, how there is no substitute for it and how there is an absolute war for it. There's an absolute war on our time with Jesus um, because it'll transform us more lovingly and more thoroughly and more efficiently than anything else on the planet. <laughs> Of course there's a war for it. And it just, it just brought me back to that reality and I was like, oh. And I've experienced that in my life, in my own life, the efficiency of his transformation and like it's him. And I was just like, oh, let us not forsake time with him for anything. Nothing is worth it. <laughs> Nothing is worth it. And if you do need wholeness, if that friend is like you and you feel any sense of brokenness and you need to be put back together, Colossians says that in him all things hold together. So how important then to be with the one who's going to bring you back together, who's going to hold you together, who's going to bring a wholeness that the world can't even come close to. It's, it's with Jesus. That's where you're going to find it. Um, so today I want to talk about intimacy, which if you hang around here, you will hear lots of that word. Intimacy and identity, we love talking about it. <laughs> um, but also the cost of it. Um, someone said, salvation is free, but friendship is costly. But before I kind of go down that track, like we won't pay for something that we don't hold value for. Nobody would. <laughs> so it just, this, what I'm about to say won't make sense if, if we don't know how much God loves us. Do you, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, <laughs> do you know how much God loves you? 
do you know how much God loves you? It's a bit of a trick question because even if you say yes, you have barely (laughs) scratched the surface. (laughs) Got news for you. And he loved first. So any love that we're giving him is a response, it's, it's a reflection, it's a, it's a reaction to his first love for us. It's wild. 1 John says, God showed, he showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. If you're ever wondering, how do I know that God loves me? It's there in black and white. He sent his son to die for you. (laughs) There's a verse in Song of Songs that says, draw me away and I will run with you. We will run with you. And I love that because he does the drawing (laughs) He does the drawing. He's the seeker. How good that he came, he, heaven came to earth for us. He didn't wait for earth for us to get to heaven <laughs> to show us his love. He made a move. Only Holy Spirit, only Holy Spirit can reveal the love of God to our hearts. So I just want to pray right now. Let's put our hands on our heart. Precious Holy Spirit, reveal the love of Jesus to my heart afresh. Amen. going to crack into a story, uh, a parable about the ten virgins with their lamps. And Jesus told stories, a parable was a story to illustrate the kingdom of God, how it works, what it's like, and what the king is like, the nature of God. Um, And we don't need to decipher every single little object and thing in the story, otherwise we'll be here for a week. Um, but I, leave, I believe that the bridegroom, it talks about a bridegroom coming, he's coming. And I believe that it's talking about Jesus coming for his church, um, which Naomi talked a little bit about last week. Um, so we'll just read it through. Matthew 25, uh, verse oh, from the start to 13. I'm going to read fast so we can just keep going. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when when the foolish took their lamps, they did did not take any extra oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil along with them also with their lamps. While the bridegroom lingered and was slow in coming, they all began nodding their heads and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Somebody shout. (laughs) Behold. Everyone say, behold. Behold. The bridegroom. (laughs) 
Okay, stop, stop. <laughs> Go out to meet him. Then all those, can you imagine the commotion? Like, wake up. Then all those virgins got up and put their own lamps in order. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, there will not be enough for us and for you. Go instead to the dealers and buy for yourselves. But while they were going away to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were prepared went in with him. Who went in with him? Those who were prepared into the marriage feast and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he replied, I solemnly declare to you, I do not know you. I am not acquainted with you. Watch, therefore, give a strict attention and be cautious and active. For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. It's a big story. There's a lot in it. You could spend a lot of time hashing it out, and I'm actually not going to. But um, the Lord was talking to me about this story this week. Um, So we don't need to kind of decipher everything, but we do want to take note of the therefore, the conclusion at the end of a parable, to make sure we get the point of what they're saying. And in this one, it says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So be prepared. So the oil could be that which makes us prepared. The Lord has spoken to me recently, like in times past, about the oil being time. So time is what I can put into my lamp to keep the fire of my love of intimacy going. And there's this Everybody knows in human relationships that time is connected to how intimate and how well you know someone, how close you are. So if you just, you might have another translation for what oil is that the Lord has spoken to you and I bless you with it. But today, we're going to say oil equals time and that the fire, the lamp is our intimacy with him. Okay, is everyone all right with that? Okay, feel free to translate with the Lord. He wants to speak to you in a million different ways. So I find this story a bit of like a, what do we say, a sore thumb, sticks out like a sore thumb. Because in the kingdom, in Jesus' life, in the gospel, we see this radical generosity, this sacrificial love, There's not many places, if any more, in the word where it says there's not enough for you. He gives the Holy Spirit without measure. It's endless love. There's enough for everyone, right? And yet we have this story and the wise ones are saying there's not enough for you. Does that seem odd to anyone else? Like it's not really the the language that we hear in the rest of the word. In this story, wisdom does not give out its personal resource. It's not willing to part with it. So I'm like, this is quite unique. It must be, it's something else. 
It's not, it's not the love of God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's something that there is a very, like, it is a resource to protect for yourself. Even though others lack it, lack it, lack, and they ask you for it, the wise ones still say no. Isn't that wild? Those without aren't given. They're advised to go, go quickly, and take a full and personal responsibility for what you don't have. Go and get your own. Whoa! You're not getting mine, isn't it? Ah! I was reading that this week and I was just like, the Lord is jealous for us. He doesn't want diluted disciples. I was just like, man, it just blew up in my face. So I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, intimacy with the Lord is not something that can be borrowed from someone else, borrowed or hired. The best thing that you can do if someone comes knocking and wants, if you've allocated some time for the Lord and someone comes knocking and they want that time, you've got a choice to make. Perhaps the best thing, or, or they, they want so much discipleship and whatever, they might put a, a name on it. Should you give them your undivided time that you are giving to the Lord? <clears throat> it's not meant, I'm going to like stay on my notes because I'm like, <coughs> I want to go hard. It's not meant to be shared around, not because it's selfish. It's not selfish to say no. It's because the Lord doesn't end up with what he paid for. He doesn't end up with lovers. He ends up with people borrowing stuff from other people. And, you know, he's after the wholehearted ones who paid, who paid that personal price, who sacrificed going to a party maybe or whatever it is. That is worship to him. That is beautiful. Um, he's not after those who are taking shortcuts or relying on others for their intimacy. And there's a few ways we can do that. <clears throat> I love my buddy Grace. She's up there doing something sneaky as we speak. And I often call and I say, what are you up to? Um, we hang out a lot. It's a great, one of the greatest honours of my life. Um, but if I called her, if I called her on Monday night and said, oh, you want to hang? And she's like, yeah, I can, I can, <laughs> Tom's smiling. <laughs> I can, I reckon I can get off kids. And she runs over and she comes to my house. We have a great time. Like, you got to go back. You got to go back because you got to get up tomorrow for the kids. She comes back. If I call her the next day, hey, do you reckon you could come and hang out? Oh, she's feeling nervous anyway, but she does it. She's like on thin ice now, <laughs> right? If I keep doing that night after night after night, it's not going to be good for the marriage. <laughs> it is completely appropriate and right for Grace to say no, <laughs> because she has a relationship with her husband and with her children that she is guarding that she is committed to, 
that she's investing into and she needs to give herself to those people. It's completely, it's completely right when she goes, no, nah, actually, I can't do it tonight. It's, it's been a big week, whatever. That's wisdom. It's completely correct to do that. So I feel like some of us need to hear that my, your intimacy is not for others. It's not for others to have that time and to, to shield it and to guard it. The time for him is not time for others. Spend time with Jesus. And in this room, we all obviously have different demands on our time. Some of us have lots of spare time. Some of us don't. Some of, some of us are full-time teachers with kids. Others are retired. Like, it would be silly to try and, you know, give you a number or something. Spend time with Jesus, whatever your picture looks like. Spend time with Jesus. Give him time, undivided time. There might be some others of us who need to hear, like the five not wise ones, don't rely on other people for your intimacy with the Lord. Don't try and borrow someone else's when you can go and build your own history with the Lord. Don't borrow off a plethora of podcasts and books and snack on that all week and feel like you've spent time with the king. There's a temptation to do that. It can be, I feel like I've veered away from that so often. If you feel like your flame is growing dim or like it's gone out, spend time with Jesus. And what do we do or how do we do? I love, I'm sure that the foundations uh, course is going to hit some of that. How, what that actually looks like is a whole other preach. Come back another week. There's a kid's song though that says, read your Bible, pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. You guys don't know that song? Oh, I'll do it next week on Encounter Sunday. Is that how it goes? Yeah, Tom knows it. Um, whisper the name of Jesus in your bedroom. You'll start to feel his nearness. <clears throat> Wayne, Wayne's not here today. Uh, Wayne dropped off something this week. No, he picked up something from my house. And he smelt good. Wayne is a man who smells good. I told his wife that. Unfortunately, she can't smell him. But <laughs> Anyway, he came into my house to grab his amp and, and he just brought it in with him. And I was like, bless you, man. But if I had have not seen, if I had have my, if I had been blind, and had my headphones in, I still would have known he entered because that's what, a, that's what a fragrance does, right? You can tell when someone's entered the room. And there is a beautiful little nugget in Song of Solomon's that says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name 
is like perfume poured out. Which is why we can sit in our car before a hectic meeting or a school pickup, whatever, and whisper his name. And it's like perfume. It's like this presence all of a sudden, zoom. It's like it entered the room. It says that it's like perfume, which Wayne reminded me of. <clears throat> so in this world of pressures and demands, it is wisdom to not relinquish time with him. I know I'm like banging the same drum at any cost. <laughs> and I don't have to feel guilty or double-minded about that. And all the more as things ramp up on the world stage and we consider the coming of Christ, which is what the five wise ones were doing, they're looking ahead. There, there is and there always has been a social and cultural attack on doing this, on spending time, on spending resources, whether it's money, time, energy, whatever it is, on Jesus, it's countercultural. They don't understand. <laughs> Romans 12, uh, verse 2 Do not be conformed to this world, this age. Fashioned after and adapted, I'm reading the Amplified lately. Fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Mary experienced this cultural kickback when she took her expensive perfume that was like everything that she had, all consolidated in this little vase. <laughs> She experienced that, that the culture, the, the resistance in Matthew 26, 8 and 9. Just taking a snippet from that story. And when the disciples saw it, when they saw... So the story of Mary, sorry, if you don't know. She has this very, very expensive thing of perfume that she pours on Jesus to prepare him for his burial. And it was everything that she had. And so when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, for what purpose is all this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. So the ones even here that she got the kickback from were, her, were the disciples. These are, this is the family of God. She's getting copping judgment big time. What are you doing? We can use that for other stuff. 
what a, they called it a waste. This is, your, this is, imagine someone here saying this, like it's real close. These are the Jesus followers condemning her. They were blinded to the, to the value of her costly worship. They're saying, you've misallocated your resources. It would have been better if X, Y, Z. They're like, went after it. So I asked the Lord a few months ago, what, what is my oil? Because Jesus isn't here in the flesh. I can't go and get, blow all my money on the most expensive thing of Calvin Klein and go and pour it on him. So what is it? What is it for us? And I, I encourage you to ask the Lord that question. What, I asked him, what, what can I give to bless you? What can I pour out? I, I want to I be like Mary. I want to give you something that costs me everything. Write that question down. What is my oil? And his answer to me was time. And you may get a different answer according to your season and what's going on in your life. Maybe what, what has your heart? <laughs> what will bless him? But I think for many of us, it will be time. We say that it's our greatest resource. So I want to talk a little bit about time, but I feel nervous because we all have different amounts of it. <laughs> or we think we do. We've actually all got the same amount. Um, and my, my aim is not to give a lesson on time management. That's not, that's not the aim of the game. Um, we all steward our time with the Lord. The point is for him to be the Lord of our time, all of our time. We're not, even if you feel like you're really tight on time, you do have choices. We're not powerless, so the issue is lordship. And I think a big question for all of us is what do we do with our spare time? <laughs> a lot of us have commitments and responsibilities and we have table to, table to put on the food, you know? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm not saying quit everything. I don't want to give a million disclaimers because it's just going to get confusing. Hear my heart. What do we do with our spare? <clears throat> the wise ones, the wise virgins, filled it up with time for Jesus and it kept their lamps burning. That's what they, they had spare. So I'm not just talking about spending time on Jesus I'm talking about spending extra time. That's what they did. Not just the minimum to get them through. They're like, we're going to pile up time with Jesus to keep our oils, our oils blazing, our lamps blazing. Devotion to Jesus is going to be attacked. If you give everything that you are and everything that you have to Jesus... You will experience this. You'll probably experience it, experience it from those closest to you. 
your family. Sometimes, even like Mary, it might come from the family of God, unfortunately. Hopefully not. Not in this community. But if you did, what would that change? Anyway, I won't go down that rabbit. But you might hear things from people that don't understand how you've allocated your resources, a sacrifice that you've made. Laura goes off to Iris, sells everything that she has. There's some people left in her wake who are sighing. She paid the cost. These guys jump in their caravan just to say yes to the Lord. If you want to be encouraged in this particular area, have a talk to them. Not everyone understands what they're doing. But they've decided that that's not going to rule their lives. (laughs) They're living for something bigger. So you might hear that it's pointless, it's foolish, it's misled, it's hype, it's not sensible, it's religious, it's a waste, it's selfish, it's neglectful. Are we up for that? Will we pay the price of the people that love us saying those kinds of things about us? How much will it matter to us? After the disciples tell us how they felt about Mary, Mary's sacrifice, Jesus tells us how he felt about it. And he says it's the most beautiful thing. And he says, and I don't think he says this this anywhere else in his lifetime on earth, this woman will go down in history everywhere the gospel is preached. How does he feel about the sacrifice? He was blessed. When we stand before the master, before the king, his is the only opinion that is going to matter. Romans 12, verse 12. I think this is what is needed to have what it takes to push back, to live counterculturally is I think the answer's in here. Romans 12, 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, 
holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service and spiritual worship. A decisive dedication that I belong to Jesus. <laughs> My life is not mine, it's his. That's, like, that's what it's going to take to push against that tide. A decisive dedication is what pleases God. It's not going to please everyone else. The quicker we get our heads around that, the better. I hear it all the time, and I've experienced it in my life, the weight of cultural, social obligation. Two places that I think the enemy jumps on this. One is the family of, of our flesh, our flesh and bone family. It can feel inescapable, some of the like cultural norms and the expectations, like in-laws, parenting. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And we can feel like we don't want to do something or that it's not love or that the only reason I would do that is to fulfill an expectation <clears throat> and an obligation, a worldly one. And at its root, that is people-pleasing and the fear of man. And I'm not saying we don't kiss Auntie Mary because she always wants a kiss on the right side of her cheek or whatever. Let everything be done in love. So is it, is it love or is it people pleasing and fear? <laughs> Family of the flesh, obligation. <clears throat> is he Lord of that space in our, in our hearts? The other one, unfortunately, I've seen it, seen it kind of rear its head is in church cultures. So the family, we have the family of the flesh and then the family of God. And we can have um, I have heard and observed and heard horror stories about how kingdom culture, the enemy has tried to pollute that with obligation. And maybe we've, maybe we've been part of churches where it's like, like roster is this, everyone's just trying to get you to do something and to, to sign up and I'm not, I'm not even familiar with that language anymore because we don't have it here, praise the Lord. But it's like obligation keeps the cogs turning of this, of this animal and it's gross. And it's, it's still coming back to worldly cultural obligation and we do not endorse here doing anything by obligation. Do it because you want to. <laughs> yeah. 
let everything we do be done in faith. That might all sound a bit murky, but I think the key question in any of it, whoever, whatever situation it is, is who are we trying to please here? Beck's got it. We don't want like carnal obligation sneaking in anywhere in our lives where we are under the influence, under the authority of something else if it's not rooted in Christ. <clears throat> we are not of this world. We can come out of agreement with it. We've unsubscribed from the world's values. <laughs> it's running around trying to look after itself and keep up appearances and all of that. And we've been set free from it to love people in purity and with a real love. Not self-preservation, not selfish love. So we get to discern with Holy Spirit what I will and won't do. It's not because there's this dominant worldly culture telling me what to do. Does that make sense? We can be free to love well, not, not compromised, not driven by the fear of man. So you have full permission to say, like the five wise virgins said, there isn't enough for you. And maybe, we need, maybe we're saying that to a family member. Maybe we have to say it um, to someone asking us to do something. Maybe we need to say it to a hobby that's going to cost us, like, is that actually something I'm willing to pay time-wise or a group or a whatever it is? We've got permission and like a good reason to say there's not enough for you. You can't have all of me. You can't have me right now. Not because of selfishness, but because it's what the king desires and deserves is, is my best, not my dregs. Intimacy with the Lord, I was praying the other day and I was just like, Lord, if there is one thing that I don't want to be theory in my life, it is intimacy with you. I don't want it to be a fancy, nice sounding eight letter word. I don't want to stand up here and preach about it if it's not my life. I don't want it to be theory. <laughs> I can get a whole bunch of stuff wrong. <laughs> I don't want to get that wrong. I don't want to miss that. I would rather be 
an amateur here and stumble over my words and make a fool of myself than to be an amateur in a secret place. I'm happy to be an amateur here and be a, I don't know what the word is, it's not a master, it's not, I want to be well oiled in a secret place. Our intimacy is a flame that must never go out. Naomi's um, Bay verse, Psalm 5 verse 3, at each and every sunrise you will hear my voice as I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you. Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. You might feel like I'm, us, I'm suggesting that you carve out seven hours of your day <laughs> that you don't have. <laughs> uh, and if you think I'm saying that, you're missing the point. There was nothing numerical about the kingdom, about the abundant life, about the spirit life. There's just nothing numerical about it. <laughs> in any way, shape or form. And I'm not saying neglect your kids or your work or your commitments or whatever. I think the more and more intimate we are with him, our lives are going to look excellenter and excellenter. It translates to beautiful character. We should have the most excellent lives because we're going to get more and more like him the more time we spend with him. So don't, we don't have to get weird. I'm going to wrap it up. Is he the Lord of our time, of our schedule? Your homework is to ask him what what your oil is, what it is that you can pour out. If you would like to bless him with something, ask him what he would be blessed with. Because I assure you that spending it all on him will catapult you into an intimacy that you have never known before. I'm sure of it. Don't trade your intimacy for anything. You don't have to. Never be without it. Hmm.